When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Work Cricket Podcast with Addie Collins and Jeff Lemon, and we're really glad to be able to bring you today another one in our line of feature interviews with Australian and Queensland opening batsman Matthew Renshaw. Jeff, we caught up with Matt, well I did anyway, you were down the line when he was on the balcony at Canterbury, Kent County Cricket Club the other day where he's been plying his trade for the last couple of months and it was a very entertaining chat, uh, one where he was quite open with us and one that we hope you'll enjoy. He's enjoyed his time in England the last couple of years, Matthew Renshaw. He's, uh, it seems to agree with him. He's, he could have been English, couldn't he? He could, he could have played for England um, if he'd wanted to through other channels. Yeah, that, that did cross my mind. I didn't ask him this, of course, because he's played for Australia. But the qualification laws have um, have been a fraction more generous to England-born players in recent times, as we've seen with Jofra Archer. And there's a couple of other players in that mixer as well. Um, but uh, no, of course, that's, that's not really the case with Matthew, who does come from English stock, but is very much an Australian. He's represented this country on 11 occasions he's played 55 first class games and made 10 tons so it gives you a a sense of the young guy's talent and as we go through the interview Jeff we you kind of get a feeling that he knows that he's already been on a pretty significant journey over just three years in in the big time yeah he knows that he's already had this boost really where most players his age might still be years away from donning an international shirt but he's been able to do that already and have that as part of his experience. So we'll get to that very shortly. There's a whole lot of other stuff to go through in the world of cricket, you know, the IPL finals and uh, World Cup preparations and all that. We won't have time to get to that now. We'll probably do that in a few days' time rather than recording a whole segment to put on the start of this episode. I've been wanting to start a segment called What I Watch for a long time, <laughs> but there was no need for What I Watch because we all knew where What I was in the IPL final, getting run out in the last over and uh, very nearly winning it for the Chennai Super Kings. But I think we'll dive into all of that in more depth in a few days' time. Yeah, and much has been the case in, with the rest of our feature interviews. We'll, we'll kind of leave this to stand as it is. If you want to go back through the back catalogue, if you like, there's Ian Chappell, Will Anderson, Earthboy, Isha Guha, Vic Marks, Jason Gillespie, Jared Waitley. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but um, this has been a, a bit of a staple of the final word over the last few years. And yeah, we're glad that we were able to get hold of Matt. He was very open and honest with us too, Jeff. Some excellent com- uh, conversation threads that we went down that weren't necessarily expected, but uh, are worth listening out for, um, not least uh, the innings where he had to retire hurt in India. I, I think forthright would be the word. Um, you know, brutal honesty, you might say. Just that it, it was, it's the cricket version of confessional poetry in a this sort of Sylvia Plath mode. You've got to open your frailties to the world and, and let 
the light shine in. A bit of housekeeping before we go. As always, thanks to Kookaburra Cricket. If it ain't Cooker, it ain't Cricket for supporting our podcast and likewise bad producer productions for taking care of us as they always have. Our Patreon subscribers, Jeff, uh, we, we're not going to do Nerd Pledge today, but they keep coming in thick and fast and there's been some absolute crackers uh, since we last recorded. I've got to say that the numbers have been getting more and more inventive and also uh, it's amazing to find out how many iterations there are of 2.13 and 2.14 in the cricket <laughs> world. They, they, they just keep growing and uh, every time you think you've got the ball covered, here comes another one. So looking forward to jumping into those and thanks to everyone for their thoughtfulness in the Nerd Pledge numbers over the last few weeks. Can't wait for that. And also, I'll renew the shout-out from last week. That is, uh, Jeff and I doing plenty of work with The Final Word in various different forms through the course of the Northern Summer. And if you want to be involved with that from a commercial perspective, partnering with us, this is the right time to do so and reach out via finalwordcricket at gmail.com or, of course, on Twitter, I'm Collins Adam and the other blokes on Jeff Lemon Sports. So drop us a line if you think your brand or your clients might want to work with us through the course of the Northern Summer. For now, let's get into that conversation. This is The Final Word with Matt Renshaw. Matthew Renshaw, thanks for joining The Final Word. It's a bit of an interesting time to to grab you and have a chat, actually, given that you're now 23 as of last month. You've had a hell of a few years, some real highs and some considerable lows. I mean, where do you see yourself at right now? How are you feeling after what's been, yeah, quite a tumultuous couple of years? Yeah, thanks for having me, for starters. Um... Yeah, it's been an interesting few years. It's the the roller coasters, um, cricket as a sport, and then international and state cricket as well. But um, no, I don't think I probably would have changed it anyway. To say I've played eleven tests at twenty three is pretty exciting, and and hopefully a few more to come. But if I if I don't play any more test cricket, I've still played eleven tests, which is exciting. Does it sometimes feel like, given that most guys by the age of 23, they, they haven't certainly haven't debuted for Australia, a lot of them are barely getting a start for their state yet, does it feel like you've already had almost a career worth of experiences in the space of just three short years? I think so, yeah. It's it's all happened pretty quickly. Um, been on a few really exciting tours as well. Been to India, been to Bangladesh, and uh, been to South Africa as well, which um, probably ticks off a few boxes in, in terms of experience, which is, is nice for me to to know I've I've been over to a few of those places and and then just um a bit of experience in in Australia as well but no, I think it's it's something that is really challenging and and that's the the enjoyable part about it is having that challenge we're coming to you from the Kent County Cricket Club, a beautiful ground uh, here in the southeast of England, a gorgeous old hand-operated scoreboard that's where you've been, where you've been playing your trade for the the last couple of months um Let's start there. What is it about county cricket that seems to agree with you so much? Such a, a great stint with Somerset last year and an opportunity here this year. We talked around this time last year and you said you want to keep coming back to county cricket for as long as you possibly can. What is it about here that, that agrees with you? Um, I think the part, there's so much cricket that you don't have real chance to think too much about it or you you play a game and two days later you're playing another game and and so you've you've obviously got to think about who you're coming up against, but it's more an onus on you, especially as an Australian cricketer coming over here. It's all on yourself about how to score runs, and and you don't have that backdrop of of the nice comfort zone you have in Australia. You've got to go into a new surroundings, a new team, and and play against new oppositions. Matt, do you think it potentially sets you up to have a big advantage because? 
you look at sort of the past of Australian cricket, you, you have guys like the War Brothers and Alan Border and so on in the 80s who were coming over to England and playing all the time. That's kind of dropped off in the current generation. Often players don't have time or they can't get the access, they can't get the visa, whatever it might be. Um, but to be able to come back repeatedly and have repeated English summers, you know, and make use of that Australian winter and play in those different conditions, do you think that can be a big component for uh, making sure that you can succeed in all conditions? I think so, yeah. Um it's obviously a, a nice opportunity for me to, to be able to come up over here. I'm not sure. I think you need to play a test over the last two years to be able to be an overseas over here. So I think I need to get a move on and, and play another one so I can get back <laughs> next year. But um, no, it's been – I really enjoyed it and, and the opportunity to, to meet a lot of new guys and, and play some, some different brands of cricket and, and learn from some senior guys – is, is something that I really really cherish and, and then go back to Australia and try and um, sort of tell people about my experiences over there, the young guys, and, and try and be a bit more of a leader back home as well. Uh, you've got plenty of family history here in the United Kingdom as well, with this, of course, being where your family came from, where you were born. Do you think that contributes to it, that when you come here, you, you are essentially in your second home? Yeah, I think I think a little bit. Um, most of my family's up north, which is is quite a lot different to to the southeast. I think it's a bit bit colder up there. But um, no, it's always nice, and and you have a lot of familiarity going to some places that you've played before, which is is nice to have. And, and it was it was quite strange this year. Went going and playing at Somerset was was quite a new experience for me. I've never played against a team that I've played for before, so that was a, a new experience in itself this year, which was didn't do very well in those games but um no it was, it was sort of it was nice to have i wanted to ask about that actually matt the thing of having to change teams so quickly and you see players especially doing it in the t20 era these days jumping from country to country uh, but even for yourself you know you're in there with the brisbane heat then you're playing for queensland playing for australia playing for different county sides how what's the experience like when you land in a dressing room somewhere and you don't know anybody but you've got to be able to gel with these other players and sort of try to form something cohesive as a team really quickly yeah that's that's probably one of the big challenges of of cricket in the moment being such a a worldwide sport and so many different opportunities is is getting over here and, and meeting people i remember the first day i sort of just sat in my corner of the dressing room didn't have any kit yet um was just waiting for that and because I was so jet lagged, I think I was up at about four a.m. and waiting for everyone in the dressing room. But <laughs> no, it's it's a nice new experience for for me, and I think I'd recommend it for for anyone who has the opportunity, whether that be in in club cricket over here, to to get over. And I think you learn a lot about yourself going into a new group where you're not as familiar with the people. Let's go back to the start of your international career, which was a real whirlwind experience. You walk into the dressing room after the, the, the test side had been flogged in Hobart a couple of weeks before. You were part of the, the new generation, the clean-out, as it were, and you walk out and bat in a pink ball test match and were not out overnight on about 10 or thereabouts. And you're the back page of the paper. Such was the thirst that Australia had for an opener who could bat long periods of time at that exact juncture that you were suddenly a back page star. What was it like, that experience, from being a relatively unknown state cricketer maybe two or three weeks before? before to being, like I say, a, a serious personality in, 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 the, in, in the sporting landscape of Australia? Yeah, well, I was, I was injured two weeks before. I'd, um, I'd had a bit of a problem with my knee during the, the one-day cup, um, I think it was a month before, and I was coming back from injury and, and played a club game on the Saturday, the Shield game, 
started on the Thursday. Uh, played a club game on the Saturday. I was captain. And we lost the toss, and as soon as we lost the toss, I was like, oh, no, we're going to be fielding all day. The opposition captain went, chose to bowl, so we're batting. I think I got 50, and so that made me feel a bit more confident going to the Shield game. If we'd have fielded all day, I probably would have been struggling. And then got 100 and then second innings the that's when the media sort of started coming and going oh you might be a a bit of a chance here and I sort of started panicking a little bit and started playing <laughs> I started playing a pull shot for me which was which was crazy back then um and um no and then got picked and it's just really really quick to to then go from um Sunday morning the last day of the game pack your bags you might be on the way to Adelaide tonight and I was like geez that's 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 happened so quickly compared to the Saturday before where I was playing club cricket and just um having a ball of a time with those boys and then going and, and meeting all the Australian test cricketers on on the Monday and then a week after that you're sitting in the change rooms I suppose after a, a test victory that that test was won on the Sunday evening and, and you were not out at the end uh, having batted for a considerable amount of time in that chase but you immediately drew some strong responses because as, as much as Australians wanted someone to bat for a long time, they also wanted you to score more quickly and you were, to an extent, getting booed by the crowd, which seems crazy to think about that now. But again, what, give us a give us some insight to how that felt being out in the middle playing in a test match and copying a bit of grief for theoretically, I guess, not going fast enough. Having a, a chase, I think it was 130 or 140 or something like that, and I always know as a, a batting side, if you lose a few wickets early, then you you could be struggling in that chase. So I always wanted to try and bat it out, and then it sort of got a bit embarrassing at the end. I was trying to score runs, I just I couldn't. I was facing Rabada, and I was trying to hit them. I was just playing and missing, and was having an absolute shocker. And then Shamsi came on. I was like, oh, I might be able to get a couple here, and just kept playing and missing. It. I was sort of thinking about booing myself as well. And, <laughs> And you got like Steve Smith and Dave Warner and all them at the other end just making it look so easy and I'm there just trying to hit the ball, I couldn't do it. It seems like people are very erratic though and they change their minds very quickly because, you know, two days before that test, everyone in Australia is going, oh, we just don't have any players who can bat time, you know. They just need to get out there and knuckle down and put a price <laughs> on their wicket. And five days later, they're like, fucking hurry up, mate. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think at one point I was sort of the ball was running. I think it was Philander was running in. I'm just like, hit him back over his head, hit him back over his head. And then I was like, as the, as he released it, I'm like, no, block it. And then, I played, and then I played and missed it as well. So I didn't even get to hit it. I want to I want to ask you about that um, that shield round because we were all watching it going I think we were calling it Australian Idol round. Yeah, we, Australia's got we talent, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whoever whoever makes a, a run here is going to get in, and you know you came good with the hundred. Pete Hanscom made a double. Did you did all the players in that round have the sense that like you are a very good chance to get a test spot if you make a hundred in this in this round and that's all you need to do? Not really, no. I, I I was just worrying about coming back from injury and not not hurting my knee that round. It was my first game of the season for for Shield Cricket, so I was I was had that little bit of nerves there and and then just went out there and. I think I played and missed about 100 balls off Chad Sayers at the Gabba, which I think anyone who's done that, faced him at the Gabba, will probably probably say they've done the same thing. But I think, if, to be fair, if I'd have nicked one of those that I played and missed at, I, I would, probably wouldn't be sitting here with 
with the record I've got. One of the quirks of that test match was he actually opened the batting with Usman Khawaja due to the funky declaration that Fafdi Plessy made to ensure that Warner couldn't walk out with you. But you ended up, of course, batting with Dave Warner quite a lot through that summer. You were at the other end, the best seat in the house for his century in a session against Pakistan at the SCG. Uh, what was it like being there watching Warner from close quarters when he was seemingly invincible that morning at Sydney? Yeah, that was that was a great spot to watch that innings. Um, sort of happened so quickly. I've, I've not got that many, many memories at the other end, but I just remember he was on 97, and I think it was 97, and I'm at, I'm at the non-strikers end, and I, I'm playing miss one, I get booed. <laughs> And then I play and miss one and get and and get a cheer because it's last ball of the over and the next one's the last over before lunch. That was probably me. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and then he's hit that that late cut to third man, and I'm just like, he's on 97. We've got to run. Like this is the best chance we've got. And I'm just, I've looked up and I've saw sort of fumble. And I've gone, okay, I'm just going. I've called yes and I've sprinted through. And I ne- I thought I nearly had to pull the dive out. I ended up being home by miles. And then he's gone off for his <laughs> his big run. And I'm sort of, if you'll probably look at a photo and I'm just sort of there standing next to him, just really awkward waiting for to congratulate him for his hundred. <laughs> so it's a bit like being left hanging, like the, the midair handshake and yeah, you know, the high five. But I was just standing right behind him just waiting for him to turn around it was really awkward you got to do the same thing yourself about three hours or four hours later than he did and you got to race three figures for the first time in test cricket which to to date is the only time you've done so but um Again, your, your memories of, uh, of on a, a big day on the Australian career calendar, day one at Sydney, um, posting three figures and, and how um, how it felt to achieve that dream so soon after coming into the test side. Yeah, that was that was a, probably one of the best moments of my cricket life. Um, having I think having Pete Hanscom out there for, for that was, was really good because he'd gone through it earlier in the summer, I think the test before or two tests before and he knew what I was going through and... I remember I was on 99. They sp- they spread the field a little bit, but everyone was quite close. He goes, "Mate, if you go, I'm going." And I've blocked. They moved short leg out. I remember. I, s- I still remember. It. They moved short leg to a square leg, and I've literally hit it to short where short leg would have probably caught me. And I've just like gone yes, and just started running, and I like nearly dived in. They went to Pete's end. They didn't even go near my end, and I was just like, and then I sort of just just panicked and I didn't can't even remember my celebration from, from my own head did you, did you watch it back much I mean the sort of thing I've asked cricketers before is that these great moments in your career it's a bit different when you're a recreational cricketer you can't go back and you're relying on your memories of the day like of course it is at, at club level now I suppose but uh test level you need all these cameras on you and it's on YouTube any number of places I'm sure have you gone back and, and watched that maybe in, in some times where things haven't been going so well yeah I've watched it a couple of times just to sort of to remember what you play not you play for just the the moments where you're having some success and and you want to try and get back to that um it's it's not it's not ideal when you're not scoring runs and you go back and look at when you scored a test 100 but um no it, it's sort of nice to know that you've got the ability to do it on the, on that level you're talking about those moments when like everything's a rush and a scramble and and you you just trying to get in your crease and you don't know where the ball's going and all the rest of it people off the field are always you know saying like oh why did he make this decision or why did he do that how much of the time are you not even really totally aware of what's going on you're just you're just operating on adrenaline and instinct and you know petrol and whatever else i think a lot better than what i was i remember before i made my first hundred i got run out for 94 in shield cricket i hit one straight to travis head at mid off and ran and i think i was out by half a pitch and I remember when I was 
in the nineties in that test match, I'm like, just don't get run out, just don't get run out. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I could live with myself if I ran myself out in the nineties before I got one in test cricket. But no, um, there's there's not very often that you sort of um, the adrenaline's going. It, it's a bit more if you're an autopilot and you just sort of when you get in that zone where you're you're scoring runs and everything feels really good. That's they're probably the ones you enjoy the most. That autopilot that you talk about. When it comes to having a, a routine, different players do different things. I know Steve Smith touches every part of his equipment 12 times. And you know Jonathan Trott used to mark his guard relentlessly as the bowler was going back to his, to his mark. Uh, for your part, I, I recall you saying in the past that you sing between balls and try and get a song in your head and, and sing throughout. Is that, is that remain part of your routine now a couple of years on? Yeah, I try and I walk out to, to square leg or I walk to, down the wicket and... I just try and have a song stuck in my head, and and at the times it's literally one line just over and over, and and it can get quite <laughs> yeah. frustrating. I've got quite frustrated at myself while I'm batting, just seeing the same line over and over, and I'm sort of like, I need a new song here. Um, but then there's been times where I've swapped songs mid innings. I've sort of done that a bit weird, but um, no, I think when I'm at my best, that's when I'm I'm seeing the song, and and it. <laughs> It doesn't feel too forced as well. If I'm trying to force myself to sing a song, then it's a bit more awkward. You should you should take a mental note of what songs these are and, and catalogue them and put them out as a, a, a Christmas CD or something like that from from the from the uh, from the, from the middle Spotify of the ground. Playlist. Yeah, exactly, something like that. Yeah, it's I'm generally sure just the one that whoever's got the music in the changing room. It's sort of us. At, at one point, I was sort of Mitch Swepson in the Bulls was the. The, the DJ as you will um, yeah. and I sort of look at him before I'm batting I'm like next song next song next song <laughs> and then go yeah yeah that's good so if you've had if you've had a long innings if you've had a good day in the middle do you come off wanting to listen to that song or do you never want to hear it again because you've sung the refrain about 384 times oh I, d- I don't listen to that song for a couple of days <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned Warner before Matt what's it like uh, sharing a dressing room and being the opening partner of David Warner a lot of people talk about Dave and think they know Dave well and, uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of people do but not many people have had the sort of experience that you have yeah yeah, he's he's great great to bat with having a guy who takes the game on as an opener and and especially back when I was in the test team and I was probably going a bit slow and playing missing a lot um they'd probably all the opposition were worrying about him and I could just sort of get on with my business at the other end and mm. and just sort of sort of bat and especially that innings where he got his 100 in the session I think I was 20 at lunch and and that was a good day for me um, 20 at lunch Um, but I could just sort of get into my innings and get into my groove while everyone was sort of looking at him and about the the lessons I've I've learned off him were quite good especially the subcontinent my first tour over there and and learning about sort of plans from him and and how he goes about his training and and his batting is is something I'll I'll still think about when I if I go over there and as well as being a role model in terms of his batting he he has been hard on you at different times as well yeah yeah he's um he obviously wants to get the best out of the young guys and and as an opening partner of him he probably wants to see me succeed and and so he he was really really firm on me but about things that probably needed to be firm on like taking everything serious and, and being the best best cricketer that I can be and the best person I can be. So you mentioned the subcontinent. You had that experience of going on a massive India tour. You know, Australia wins that first test, which doesn't happen in India very often. Um, Steve Smith played the series of his life over there. And you put in a really important performance in that, um, that first test as well when things were, you know, f- could have gone 
pretty diabolically wrong. It was a very low-scoring test, and you had to you had to guts things out, sort of literally, because you were you were crook on the field as well. Um, when when you've got the shits in the middle of a test match, are you aware that like everyone in watching in the stands is making jokes about it? And does does that make it slightly more annoying than the average case? Well, no, I, it sort of came on really quickly. I, I think I let one let one rip out there in the middle, and we were about fifteen minutes away from lunch or twenty minutes away from lunch. And then about five minutes later, I'm I'm standing there just sort of a bit bit more uncomfortable, sort of like, is this is this another fart? Is this yep. is this something a bit more serious? And then it sort of started coming on very quickly, and and I, I think I asked I asked Richard Kettleborough how long till lunch, and um, he was like uh, 15 minutes. I'm like. Because there's no clocks in the stands, there's nothing, and I was yep. sort of trying to think. Fifteen minutes—that's about four overs. Well, like it might go a bit longer, and then all of a sudden, I just really needed to go to the toilet. And I was sort of like asked him again, "How long till lunch?" And he said, oh, 13 minutes." Like something. Why are you asking me again? Um, and then Warner got out. He got bold, and I've just like. The I think the twelfth he's come on and I'm just like I need to go to the toilet. Like I'm literally I'm either going to shit myself on the field or just get to a toilet. And so I've asked I've asked the umpire if I could retire hurt. Like if I could just retire hurt, go off to the toilet, and then come back at some point later. Like because I didn't know what what was going on. And he's like mm. you can you can retire. I'm like no no no. Can I retire hurt? Because if I wanted to, if I was going to have to retire out. I'd, yep. I'd have just stayed there and, and probably have a lot more nicknames than just the guy who ran off the <laughs> ran off the field. But um, uh, I, he said I could retire hurt, so I've just bolted. And Smithy's on his way out to bat, and he's sort of just he's already confused about why I'm running off. And then he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Mate, I need to go to the toilet." And he's like, "No, no, no, come back with me." So I'm like holding this in. I've walked back to the umpire and like confirmed with Smithy what was going on. And I've just, uh, and he's like, okay, go then. Like, I, f- I feel sorry for Sean Marsh. He was up there just chilling, and then he was there, was out there batting. And I've run round, I've, I've run into the dressing room, and from the dressing room to the toilets, it turned into tiles. And I'm ripping my pads off, and I forgot I had spikes on, and I've just gone up on all fours while fallen over, like landed. I'm still ripping my pads off, got up, and just got to the toilet, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like the, the great thing about this story it's, it's an incredibly relatable story yeah. obviously for obvious reasons but at the time like from our vantage point the other end of the ground there at uh, at Puna we didn't have a bloody clue what was going on and of course you copped a fair bit of grief from people including Alan Border who made some reference to the fact that you should have gutsed it out or you know uh, uh, words to that effect um, it's the sort of thing where it's going to come up for probably the rest of your life and it's lucky it's a great story it'll make yeah. you plenty of money one day <laughs> I, um, I, but, think, I think part of me is like still like talking to my mates about it all and part of me is really annoyed at myself that I didn't just didn't just take a shit on the, in my pants on the field like <laughs> I feel that that would be a better story than just oh, I ran off the field to, if if I shit myself on on international cricket stage I would have like I, I feel like there could have been a lot more sponsorship opportunities available maybe 
all the boys. Now that's it. commitment. That's dedication. That's a real Australian pride in the badge, shitting himself on the field. That's what we want to see. We want a team that's willing to shit themselves on the field. Why don't we see that commitment from Australian players in the modern age? Oh, tell you what, AB would have shat himself on the field. And Chabel would have shat himself on the field. Todd Bradman would have shat himself on the field. Better than anyone else. Uh, I, 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 Jeff, I've got to say, I had no expectation of asking that question, but now we've come this far. <laughs> Uh, this, this, is, uh, this has been thoroughly worthwhile uh, for us to explore. So, so that was I'm India. I'm just loving the image of losing the footing on the tiles and then having to like crawl towards and you've still got pads on and you're like, you know, they're not the pads that you need in that sort of situation. And you're, tw- and you're 20 and, like, years old. You're wearing old. white cricket clothes. You're yeah. wearing white kit. It's the worst possible sport to shit yourself in. At uh, least if you're playing for Hawthorne, you'd be fine. And, and, and the other element to this, Jeff, is you're 20 years old. You know, you're, you're relatively near the international, you're the youngest bloke on the field. I mean, and what were you doing when you were 20? I know you were probably crawling around the bathroom as well for different reasons, Jeff. I probably shat myself for different reasons, but not, not with such a big audience. Oh, dear. I don't know how to segue out of this. Let's just stick... Let's just stick so, so you've been to India. You have your 21st birthday in the Durham Charlotte Test Match. Doesn't go so well. Press fast forward. We're in Bangladesh. You play another one of those kind of innings to start the, the series when wicket's falling around you. You bat for a couple of sessions and, and keep the ship together. Um, Australia, Australia win the, the, the I said ship Jeff to, to be clear uh, you, you win the okay. second test in, in Chittagong and to our way of thinking from where we were watching it uh, from a media perspective we just thought you know Matt Renshaw you can pretty much ink his name on, on the team sheet not just for the Ashes series but they're investing in this young bloke he's doing the right things and, and so on and then it goes radically haywire over a three week period in the Sheffield Shield you probably don't make it to double figures it was a, a terrible run of form and, and suddenly there are people calling for your head um, across the country. You've got um, an opposing coach in Justin Langer, who at the time was coaching Western Australia, um, saying that you should be replaced by his opener at the time, Cameron Bancroft. What, what, that, that is a pretty sharp decline in a very short space of time. Yeah, that was, that was pretty full on. Um, probably the most intense at that time, the most intense couple of weeks of my cricketing career. Um, coming back from Bangladesh, I, I missed out in the last... In the last test, I got burgled, which um, is always a fun way to get out, especially yep. as a as an opener. You, you do all this, and then you get burgled. Um, and then just into shield cricket, I think I might have changed my technique a little bit going into Bangladesh to to deal with the sort of Bangladesh wickets and that sort of thing, and and didn't adjust very well coming back. If I'm if I'm completely honest, and then sort of just kept finding ways to getting it, for getting out. I think Dan Christian bounced me out at one point, which um, I don't know if you faced Dan Christian, but um, that was that was enjoyable for for me and him. He's he's not the quickest going around, is he? No, well he hit me in the head this year in Big Bash as well, so um, I think I just need to duck under him. Um, but um, and then sort of just scratching around, feel like I was close to to getting a, a beginnings, and then a couple of umpiring decisions and a couple of um, bad ways to get out is sort of how you get out the side really and and to be fair Bancroft he, he got a, a really good game against the the test attack and then yep. he got 250 or, or something like that which sure. it's hard to sort of say no to and and if you looked at who was in form and out of form I wasn't didn't have the runs on the board which they asked for and so he probably deserved that opportunity and then the next weekend you're playing shield cricket against WA uh, at the Wacker and they're getting into you 
their, their mates playing for Australia at Brisbane and you're back with them in, in a Shield game that's very much off-Broadway because everyone's focused on the Ashes contest on the other side of the country. Um, what, what, what does that feel like? Not many people can understand, I suppose, what the, the emotion must be of being at the... The, one of the elite cricketers in the country and in the test side to being, you know, not to say Shield cricket is too far down the pecking order, but the next level down and, and copying a barrage from uh, the teammates of the guy who's now, now in your spot. Yeah, that was that was a fun sort of week. Um, going going to that to, to Perth, it, that was quite ironic um, having that game there. Yeah. But um, no, it was tough um, tough sort of week, and then um, sort of just kept it's that kept that roller coaster going downhill. Um but I think the the support I had from from the Queensland guys in the second innings I, I got out and I just I walked to the nets just nearly straight from the dressing room from the middle, walked to the nets and I sort of was just like I need to need to sort this out because I need to score some runs quickly and, and sort of just started I think at one point I must have thought it was big bash season because I was just slogging everything. And I sort of just sat down in the nets and, and one of the assistant coaches, Ashley Nofke, came over and, and we just started talking, which was was really good. I I just felt like everything was sort of coming to a to a head and, and for a twenty one year old at that time that was that was really tough to sort of deal with that I, as much as I was trying it nothing was really working and um and then the next week we went to Cairns and I left a straight one and got LBW for about three and and I thought, oh no, that's going to happen again. And and then, thankfully, Chad Sayers started sledging me, which um, started sledging me in Cairns, saying that I was useless and and couldn't score a run. And I look over, and he's wearing his Aussie whites taped up, and I've just gone, okay, I'm going at him here. <laughs> I I just I was sick of just getting sledged every week that I'm going out. Everyone's saying I can't bat. I just started going at him for wearing these Aussie whites and. <laughs> And somehow got got fifty, and and then I think after that I was I was feeling quite confident, but I just needed I needed someone to go at me. It, it just seemed it, it, it shows that those sorts of topics that, that it doesn't matter where you're playing that something as small as that can still be enough to get under someone's skin. So he was wearing, I assume, for what you mean by that, he's Australian issued whites, which he never actually got to use, having been twelve. Yeah, he he'd obviously taped them up, and I sort of I I don't know why I noticed them, but I just noticed them. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go at him here. <laughs> So he he's the uh, he's the pro level version of a full kit wanker because he's <laughs> he showed up to a game wearing twelfthy kit. That's <laughs> that's beautiful. And also being sledge by like he's he's like seems like one of the nicest blokes alive. Chad says so, like imagine yeah, him being me off to the you. field. He's he's a ripper bloke. Um, <laughs> but no, I think because he got me out the first things and and every time I play against him, I seem to play and miss a, at everything against him. Mm. just bowls that little nibbly and then seam and so I just I play and miss at everything and then I just I don't know what happened it just sort of clicked and I think I just went full rampage mode on him well he he worked over AB de Villiers in Johannesburg and you know AB was in the form of his life and Sayers got the inside edge so you know no shame in that I think you're the one person in the world that remembers that Jeff from all everything I, that happened in, in that week in Johannesburg, you you remember that one thing to to stick in your memory. He, he worked him. It. it was like a three over burst. He kept, AB couldn't get bad on him. It was beautiful. I mean, this was you know in the first innings didn't go so well the no, second time around. No, it didn't. Well, now we are in 20, 2017, 2018. So we we talked before about how white ball cricket tended to liberated you towards the back end of the Shield season. Um, you end up back in the Test squad under relatively unusual circumstances shall we say it's a pretty good story where are you when you find out that all hell's broken loose in Cape Town and and how talk me through or talk us through 
the couple of days, that's all it was, between waking up that morning and, and you know, travelling to the other side of the world. Yeah, I was thinking it was, it was either day one or two of the Shield final. Um, I can't remember which day. I think it was day two because day one had been washed out even though it was the probably the sunniest day in Brisbane because the outfield was wet. Um, and then I woke up and I, I'd noticed the, the score like, it was on while I was asleep and I woke up and my cousin's sitting on the couch at about 8 o'clock, which that was rare. He was my housemate at the time, but him him being up at that time was quite rare. And he was like, mate, did you see what happened with the, the Aussies? I'm like, no, oh, like guessing there was a collapse or they'd taken loads of wickets. And he's like, no, no, there's some something that went on. And so he's put it on the news. Like he's watching the news and it's all all kicking off there. And so I've, I've, I've like watched it all, got ready, gone to the game. And, and as you can expect, everyone was talking about it when we were, were there in the, in the ground and and then so we're, we're sort of like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. But because we're playing the Shield final, we all want to win the Shield. And we started just, we put it aside and started concentrating on the Shield game. And then day five, the morning of the game, um, morning of the last day, we're in a pretty strong position. Probably all knew that we were very close to winning it. Um, I got a phone call from Trevor Hone saying, mate, you're on a, you're on a flight tonight at f- at seven o'clock to, to South Africa, you're replacing Smithy because he'd been um, he'd been banned by the ICC for a game. Yeah. Um, so I was like, shit, I need a pack. Like, was looking around for my passport, looking around for all that sort of thing. And I got there, took my bag, like had to speak to the media guy because I didn't want to turn up to a Shield game with my Aussie bags there. The the media would see that I'm going. I couldn't <laughs> say anything. Um, and then we got into the game like. And then I, it was we had a rain delay, and I'm thinking, how hold on, I've got a what if I'm batting during the the flight? Like I was supposed to leave at four o'clock. Um, if I'm batting at four o'clock, I can't like retire hurt, go and catch a flight to Africa. So I started talking. Just, to, just tell them you're about to shit yourself. And just, <laughs> <laughs> I know that, uh, they might believe me about that. Um, and so we've spoken to them, and and so that we there was a rain delay and. So we had to chase 130 in the in the fourth innings to to win, but we didn't need to. But we we all wanted to try and win that final, mm. and so they decided that if I was still batting at four o'clock, um, I would take a later flight. But if I wasn't, I'd get the the seven o'clock flight. And so I remember looking at that the scoreboard at Allen Border, sort of just blocking, blocking, like trying to survive everything. And and then as soon as it hit four o'clock. Because I wanted to be there to celebrate the, the Shield win yeah. um, with all the guys that I'd gone through so much with that year. Um, as soon as four o'clock happened, I think you could probably look at the scorecard where the time was, and I just started playing some shots, and it was <laughs> it was so much fun. I, hey, just to be absolutely clear to make this, this timeline right, you, you made sure you got there till four o'clock so you could go on the circuit with your mates for a couple of hours after the Shield win to get a later flight to the Australian test. That's well, no, great. I just wanted to lift the trophy. I thought that would be, that would be awesome to, to go through everything that I'd gone through that whole year and then miss out on, on the, the actual winning and the singing the song, which yep. I've still got videos on my phone of the songs, which was probably some of the best best moments of my life. And and yeah, so it was, it was nice to, to sort of have that and then just the got got to the airport i was absolutely exhausted just met, like made on the flight fell asleep probably five minutes i don't think i made it to take off and then the whole like getting to south africa um 
the the boys had left South Africa while I was on the plane, so we'd like missed each other and I'd got to the hotel and all the guys in the hotel obviously pretty down said, Did you see the did you get any grief at the airport? And I'd not had Wi Fi for twenty four hours. I hadn't seen what was going on. And then you look at the footage that like the, the cameraman and everything that was going on in the airport, I'm like, No, I just literally walked through, got in the car, like left, no one was there to, to see me, which We was- weren't doing our job, Jeff. <laughs> That's, that's, that's what Matt's well, saying you should, have, you should have been papping you at the should. airport. <laughs> Matt Renshaw refused to comment. What has he got to hide? L- last year, I was sent out to Pat Ben Stokes at an airport in, in Auckland. I had my, uh, on my phone as he walks out of arrivals at one point. It's not a particularly fun job, but, uh, you know, it has to be done no. sometimes. Talk, talk us through it, though. Like, you know, that flight's a bit of a killer. I remember taking it over there and then just being completely useless for about three days you take it over there and you've got what like 24 hours to try to turn it around before you've you know you've got to walk out in a test match you were you were at training at Joburg the day before and you mustn't have been able to remember your own name yeah I think I was um I was very much on Red Bull that that those couple of days Red Bull and sleeping pills to sort of work out the timeline but um no it was it was all sort of just really strange the like coming into a test match it it, because of everything that went on and everyone was quite down it it didn't feel like a test match so I was I felt my job coming over was to try and make sort of like the guys that I was quite close to like those and Kawajas and all them feel like distract them a little bit about because they'd been through hell for the last two weeks which I wouldn't wouldn't wish on anyone, but um, I was just trying to distract them and and make them feel feel a bit better and and have the sort of fresh face. And the most beautiful part of the whole thing is that you are there playing in the test when Chad Sayers makes his debut. Oh, you, you're finally allowed to wear that kit, mate. Good on you. <laughs> no, well, he did nick Ab De Villiers off on the inside edge after working him over three overs. So it's <laughs> a good callback. Uh, one thing that we skipped over there was uh, you were, I mean, that training session wasn't any old training session, was it? It was uh, you're in the sheds and you're told that Darren Lehman's no longer going to be coaching the side. And I don't think anyone really expected that because Lehman had made it clear to us the day before that he was going to be the man who would lead the cultural change going forward. And, you know, there was a degree of contrition shown at that press conference. And within 24 hours, he's pulling the pin. You must have been like, as you said before, exhausted. Uh, and now hearing this massive news, I, I expect it was quite an emotional change room that morning as well. Yeah, that was that was pretty full on. I don't think anyone was really expecting it. Um, remember, sorry, I just, <laughs> he's just pulled a packet of chips out. <laughs> um, I can't eat them though, it'll come through on the microphone. <laughs> sorry, I got distracted there. Um <laughs> <laughs> you could you could hear us opening beers on the podcast we did in Joburg. So this is all staying in, Jeff. This is all staying in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, I'm continue. trying to eat the chips off Mike because you know I don't want to I don't want to treat people to the full sensory experience. Yeah. So no one really expected that. <laughs> Gav, the manager, walks out of. I think they went out in the front and walks back in, and obviously looks pretty pretty emotional and. So all of us are starting to think about what was going on, and then he obviously told the news, and that sort of made it feel a bit bit weirder as well. Like we were all preparing for a test match, um, didn't have three of the guys who was there bef- the test before. We got three new guys, and and the coaches just resigned. It's sort of this really weird feeling before a test match. 
and there was like extra security measures taken. You had your phones confiscated from memory as well so that the news wouldn't break before it got out through official channels. Like, it's a pretty intense environment. It mustn't have been even remotely like your first experience as a test cricketer to one you were walking into in Johannesburg. Yeah, we, we got up, we went on the bus and the security guy wanted our phones and we were sort of like, this is a bit, bit strange. Like, we've never had this done before, especially with Buff Coach. Um, and then it all happened and I think everyone just sort of, that training session was just sort of trying to enjoy themselves. We played a, a good couple of games and then had a net session, which was which was weird, but I think I was, I was still half asleep at that point, which is, I can't remember much of that test match. Like, people talking to me about it, I'm, I think we fielded for a long time, but I, I can't remember how long. I, I didn't make many runs and then I flew home. But you didn't make many runs, but I think, Jeff, I think you and I both wrote about Matt that week with respect to his fielding, about how you were throwing yourself around in the field. The impression we got anyway was that you probably weren't going to ever make many runs in that circumstance, given um, what you'd just been through through the last three or four days on, on commute and exhaustion and so forth. But you were trying to make a contribution in other ways and, uh, and, and make your mark known. Is that why you were racing around on, on the sweeper boundary and just seemingly man-possessed at, at different points through the course of that afternoon? I think that's just because I've, I, when I first came in, I was at first slip and no one really saw me move. Um, so everyone keeps saying, like, now, where, where's this fielding come from? Like, I've, I've probably got a little better at moving and, and I've got a lot fitter, but I didn't feel like I'd, I was that bad. I was just in first slip and no one really saw me. But, mm. um, no, it's just... One, I just try and enjoy my fielding and, and diving around is quite fun and, and just trying to do my job for the team. So you had a ripper season at Somerset in county cricket. You come forward to that UAE tour, that test tour, and it's really odd when you look at it because you look at Joe Berg and you've got the the four guys who come in to the, to the 11 and to the squad as replacements in Maxwell, Hanscom, Burns, yourself – None of you are playing in that UAE series. You're all in that Joe Berg, Maxie's in the squad, and the three, other three of you are in the 11. And then when the UAE comes around, uh, none of you made that 11. Was, how much of a surprise was that? Um, uh, you know, but w- w- what did you think sizing up before that series was going to happen? Well, I think if I didn't get hit in the head, I think I would have played. Um, getting hit in the head, that was probably my worst worst concussion if I'm honest with the um mm. with that one I, I I think the ball before I remember um he was quite quite a short bloke and wasn't really hitting them um like wasn't sweeping wasn't hitting them very far and and Lions bowling quite well I'm going okay I'm going to take a step up like I I took a half well what I felt was a step was probably about five centimeters um and then next ball's dragged down, pull shot, and I'm just standard. You just duck, and it's hit me in the head, and I'm sort of trying to work out where I am. I'm hearing, like it was slow motion, hearing someone say "catch it." I was like, mm. "How are they going to catch it?" Like it's hit me in the head, and then um, Painty like climbed over me to take the catch, and then I sort of half remembered that you could take a wicket with a helmet below now, um, and so. I was sort of like half dazed and half like celebrating. I was like, "Do we get a wicket?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I'm like, ah, oh, sweet." And then I stood up. <laughs> I stood up and I was like, "Oh, this is this is not great." Um, and I was trying to like, I wanted obviously want to play that game on. We're very close to batting. I'm trying to like work it out and get better. And then Uzi came up to me. He's like, "Mate, we want like." are you all right? You can bat like trying to sort of make me feel like I was all right. And I, 
I just was so oblivious to everything. Um, went and lied down for, I think, half an hour, and I just, like, head was just ringing. It's a bit of an occupational hazard getting hit in the head, being an opening batsman at the highest level, and, and fielding in close as well. Uh, how many times have you been concussed now? Um, four, I think. Four. Two short leg, and then two mm. not on a cricket field. As in? Two were, like, one was in a warm-up. We were right, playing a right. game, and I got kneed in the side of the head, which was frustrating he pulled out of shield game there um and then the other one was when i was young um when i was in the mps i was walking under a a viewing area and i lifted my head and hit it on concrete it it sounds like wilbukowski you got um one of one of his concussions was hit on the side of a door another one at a football tackle one at the non-strikers end in an adjacent net when a ball came flying out and clobbered him on the side of the head as well i mean there does reach a point where it becomes a problem, but I assume you're not in that category where that Will's been in the last couple of years. No, I think I'm. I just keep getting hit in, at short leg. Like <laughs> the the one the ones at short leg are obviously you, you just can't really help. You're at short leg, and you've either got the the option of ducking that way or ducking and potentially getting hit in the back of the head, but. Um, no, I'm happy that it's getting me on the helmet. Notwithstanding the fact you got hit in the head in in, in a warm up game uh, or in a in an A game, um, there was a strong emphasis before that tour on cricketers that made plenty of hundreds, and I think by that point you had ten first class hundreds or something like that in near enough to forty five or forty six games of first class cricket. So on that metric, we all just kind of assumed you were going to play, and then you didn't. And then to be relatively crude about it, right in front of us, you got absolutely smashed. Um, you know, fielding drill the day before the Dubai Test match. No one missed it. We were all right there watching what was going on. You were worked to exhaustion. Uh, and then stories started to come out in the couple of days after. That, that none of this was coincidental. The suggestion being that you'd fallen foul of decision makers at some point along the line in the space of the few days you'd been together as a team and, and that was all related. What was going on there? Nothing. I just had to do a, a, fielding, te- a fielding session with... With Hads and and obviously in Dubai it's it's pretty hot and trying to trying to make make sure that I'm I'm still working hard as someone who um, as someone who wasn't playing the next day I knew yeah. I wasn't playing at that point so I wanted to try and and work hard and and have a a good fielding session and I think I did one two days later as well so it wasn't yeah. like it was a, a one off I was still um, doing that and and having JL there is he's obviously big on fitness and. And we were trying to work on, on the fitness side as well and, and make it a bit more relatable rather than just doing some, some run-throughs. So, so in that case, was it frustrating for you being in the team camp, seeing some stories out there um, that were sort of hinting at there being some discord? It wasn't spe- specified, but it was kind of alluded to and that there was some disconnect between you and you and the coach. That, that wasn't the perspective you were coming from? Yeah, I remember my, my manager and, and my dad sort of messaged me one night and just said, have you seen this? And, and it was an article about that me and JL had fallen out and I was sort of had no idea where this had come from. I sent it through to the, the media media guy and said, what's what's going on here? Like, there's nothing nothing I know of that, that this is true. But um, no, it's it's frustrating having that sort of rumour thrown out there when it, it was all, all fine. It, does, in, in situations like that, do you feel like you want to get up in front of the cameras and go, come, come, here, come here, guys, I just want to tell you that what's in the paper today isn't right or, you know, you've been given a bum steer or, or something like that. Is there a temptation? Because, I mean... Until now, that people probably just assume that is is the is is an accurate recollection of what was going on at the time. Yeah, it was it was really frustrating. Um, 
but then I sort of try to relate it back to you look at I, I'm quite a avid golfer and I love following golf and and you look at some reports of like oh he's not a great person like reports of some golfers and then you sort of have to go ah oh, it's the reports but is it actually true like you have to sort of take everything with a grain of salt that that comes out in the media and that's probably the lesson I've learned over the, the last year. I remember part of what Justin was saying was that they couldn't pick you because you hadn't played a lot of Red Bull cricket recently, um, and that was before the first test. But then when the second test was coming up, obviously you hadn't played the first test, so you'd played even less Red Bull cricket recently. Um, it puts you in a bit of a paradox situation that like, you're still in the squad, but you've basically almost been guaranteed that you can't play in the second match. Yeah, that was... Um, I'd missed a couple of games in India for slightly twinge Mahami and so I missed the first Red Bull game over there and then probably got the best ball ever no, that's a that's a big call one of the best <laughs> balls I've faced in in the second ball of the century for I think I got a first ball of the second the second te- uh second four day a first ball like swung in nipped away bowled me I was like okay like and then I got a couple of I think I got 30 odd in the second innings and then flew over to Dubai and, and was training really well felt really good about my game and I was ready to, to bat in that four-day practice match and, and got in the head and, and just missed out. And then knowing that you miss out because you've not played enough cricket and then the second test coming up, you're sort of just sitting there like twiddling your thumbs, just like, if there's an injury, are they going to go with me? Um, that sort of thing if someone pulls up sore. Um, but then left early, um, played a grade game and, and it was just nice to go back into grade cricket, play cricket and... And then scored 100 in that game, which was was nice to get back in the runs as well. It wasn't the only runs you made in grade cricket. Probably the, the most that was spoken about you last year really was the triple ton in grade cricket. Such a rare thing to occur in, in a club game, making a, a triple hundred in a day. But in professional cricket, um, that roller coaster from 17, 18 almost starts again. Like deja vu, it must have felt like having a being on trial for for a test spot before the start of the India series and having another lean period. Um, it must have been terrible to have that happen to you at the worst possible time for the second summer in a row. Yeah, well, I, th- I got a I got an eighty nine against WA at, at AB and and one just rolled and and got out. If I, f- I felt like if I hadn't have got out then, I, f- I felt like I was going to get a really big score. But yep. just one of those things in cricket that you can't really plan for too much in the future. And, and I was hoping for for the Indian series, but sort of didn't stars didn't really align for that. But it was sort of another one of those years where I learnt loads and, and trying to work out the, the best way for me to, to go about my cricket. I wanted to ask your perspective on the concept of form because I feel like when people watch cricket, they talk about form all the time. Like someone makes two or three low scores in a row and they say, oh, he's out of form. But to me, it seems like luck is a much bigger part of things. Like most batsmen are going to fail, say, three times out of four. You know, that's just the generally the way the game goes you don't tend to make big scores more than maybe a quarter of the time so you can easily have five or six or eight or nine or ten innings in a row where you don't make big runs it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in bad form it just means that chances are that you're not going to make big runs all the time and sometimes you might make a few big scores back to back and sometimes you'll have some low ones back to back um how does it feel as a batsman are there times when you know that 
you actually have a form problem and, and then times when you're just having a, a bad run of fortune rather than a bad run of form. I think there's there's times where there's maybe you're not batting the way you should be batting in, in your technique and your game and then there's times where you're, you're doing everything right and then you just nick one and that you might have played, as I spoke about, before I got picked, I think I played a miss at 100 Chad Sayers ball. If I'd nicked one of them, I probably wouldn't have played the test next week. Mm. So I think that's something that I've I've drawn on, like talking to people, is that some days you're going to nick them, some days you're not, and that's just the way that cricket is. It's such a really small small margins game that you need to sort of keep a, a level head on that. And if, if you start thinking about form, then you probably are out of form because you're you're thinking, not thinking about cricket, you're thinking about how you're do- doing personally. The immediate focus last year when you made those runs for Somerset, 300s in five games, and including a, a century in a session as it happened after having observed David Warner do the same a couple of years earlier, I don't think anyone in cricket would have expected you to be able to bat like that on morning one of a game on a green top. So, you know, the, the idea that you'd play in this 2019 Ashes was quite strong, that they'd, they'd find a way to, you know, play in these conditions where you, you had done quite well. Um, but you're not in the Australia A squad and you're finishing up at Kent next week after the next championship game. So the window you've got to um, somehow get yourself back in that consideration or that conversation before the first test in August is a relatively narrow one. Um, have you thought much about that or have you had much communication coming your way about what you might be able to do to be a bit of a smoky for that squad? Um, I think they just they spoke, spoke to me and said that runs in county cricket would would count and and I've, I think I've got 100 and, and a couple of 40s and and that so it's probably more one day cricket that I've been able to sort of put my name forward for in in the yeah. in the time I've had here but um, no I'm not thinking too much about that I'm just trying to enjoy enjoy life really and and having the the pressure of the constant pressure of yourself saying I want to play the Ashes I want to play the Ashes you you sort of forget about why you play cricket and and so I've tried to make sure this year I'm I'm not thinking too much about the the future and and just worrying about enjoying my my life and my cricket it's quite an interesting perspective Jeff isn't it really that after Matt's been able to have this success as a young man and now we've talked about the roller coaster a couple of times but at at a point of it now where it is probably unlikely you'll play in the Ashes that it does liberate you to um, enjoy the day-to-day more than being too focused on something that is seemingly unattainable at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. And, and being able to go home and, and have a, a big pre-season with Queensland and, and just try and just get back to thinking about playing games for Queensland. That was that was how I got into the Australian side. And, and when Queensland were winning, that's how we, we started getting it, a lot of guys into the squads. But... Um, now it's just about going home and enjoying the the time I have at home. As as you can probably speak to some of the the really big dogs about their time away from home and how it's very very minimal. You got to enjoy that time at home as well. Yeah, I guess removing a deadline is liberating in in any sort of field. And of course, it's it's basically a cliche, but we all know that pretty much every. Uh, great cricketers being dropped as a younger player at some point and have their struggles and learn more and bounce back it's literally every time someone gets dropped everyone gets dropped like you're not going to go through your whole career and, and stay in the same team that you started in or you got promoted to you're going to get dropped you're going to get injured you're going to miss out a few times and and it's about enjoying the the going back part and, and enjoying the, the, the game of cricket because so many so many kids come through the the ranks enjoying cricket and then they get into this professional environment and think oh I've got to change what I'm 
doing, but you've still got to enjoy the cricket at the end of the day. Is that something that comes back to you the other way as well? You talked about the phone call they gave you. Was that uh, when they announced the squads? Was it that, um, that the selectors got in touch or Trevor Holmes got in touch to tell you where you were at? Is, is that a, a relatively common occurrence with someone like you who's had success young and they know that you're always being talked about through an international prism? It's not like someone who's like 31 and might have played four years ago. You're 23 and played just last year and, and the expectation is that you will again. When these squads come out and these teams are picked, do they, do they get on the phone and go, look, done to control, you just got to do this or, or is it that you might go months and months without hearing from them? No, when they, they announce it, they go, yeah, you've, you've not scored enough runs and for me, it's always been the the runs part of it has been the reason I've missed out which, yep. which at, at one thing is, is probably a positive. It, it's just probably one or two scores away from, from being back in the mix and then the other is... If I'd have scored runs, I would have been in there, and you can't you can't think like that because then you get too much concentrating on the past rather than the the present. How have you dealt with it coming into the spotlight as such a young guy, you know, twenty years of age when you're playing that first test, and suddenly you've got it seems like everybody in the country wants to have an opinion on how you're doing your job, uh, how you're going about it, who you are, what you're about, all the rest of it. Not many people at that age have that sort of ferocity of spotlight on them. How did you cope with that, and um, and how does it how does it feel looking at it with a couple more years under your belt? Yeah, everyone seems to have an opinion on me, whether that's um, what they've seen on on TV or if they actually know me, and and that's why I try to keep everyone that everyone I meet, I try and have a, a good a good opinion of, obviously. But I I know that if the people who are really close to me are, are happy with me, then that's that's really important for me. Um, obviously, got a really tight tight group of friends away from sort of the the domestic and and that sort of spotlight which is nice going back and and playing club cricket with them and and spending a bit more time with them this year has been been probably a, a silver lining against the sort of the the bad part of of not playing for Australia but um no it's it's obviously tough having people have form opinions of you that you don't know but me being true to myself um trying to keep that keep that going and and i think this year so i've i've learned to do a lot more um meditation and that sort of thing trying to when the when the noise of the outside gets too too big worrying about just worrying about myself that seems to be quite common in the australian change room there's a lot more guys who are relying on meditative processes and mindfulness as, as a means of keeping an even keel is that something you picked up in, in that environment or an influence inside the professional game over here what's the origin story um i think you go through it when you're in the academy. You start doing it a little bit, and and you sort of think, oh, I'm not sure if I'll really need this. But um, talking to a few of the guys, they they do it quite a lot. I know Will Pukowski obviously has gone through a lot, and I'm quite close with him. And and just talking to him about some of his experiences has been really helpful. As someone who I feel quite young, he's younger than me, and and his maturity of of all this sort of stuff is is a real testament to him and. And what he's gone through has been quite tough as well, so I try and draw on that. You're about to go and enjoy some time away on the continent over in, in Europe on holiday. You must be thrilled to get out of the, the cricket bubble altogether and be completely anonymous uh, over in Europe for a bit. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Got a week away before I, I head back to Australia for, for pre-season, so going to France and, and Belgium and then maybe tr- a few other countries just trying to trying to organise it all now, which is as exciting as, as someone who... I've been playing cricket for like the last three, 
three years straight, I'd say. Mm. Um, it's nice to get a holiday out, and I think that keeps the keeps the missus happy. Do it the old-fashioned way. Put a backpack on and get the URL pass and just go from country to country. Don't worry about any of these p- posh hotels. I'm sure you'll enjoy it more that way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Matthew Renshaw, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you in this more relaxed environment here at the Kent County Cricket Club. Congratulations on what you've achieved so far, and thank you so much for joining the final one. Thank you for having me. This is The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And thanks again to Matthew Renshaw, who was an absolutely fantastic guest. We really enjoyed talking to him. And let's hope it's the start of the international journey for him. And, and I'm sure it will be. He's got such a, an immense amount of talent and, uh, and the sort of person that we, we hope will seriously make it in the long term for Australia. As Gloria Gaynor said, he's got all his life to give. He's got all his love to give. And he'll survive. He will survive. Oh, oh. Uh, if you've uh, listened to this interview and you've enjoyed it, um, feel free to, to join our wonderful patron community, uh, patron.com forward slash the final word. There you can um, be part of the Nerd Pledge game, which you can listen to in earlier episodes. You can access some exclusive content, which we'll be loading up in the coming weeks. And generally, you can just be part of our conversation that we're having over there and enjoying an awful lot with our subscribers who we're ever so grateful uh, for the contributions they're making week to week. Indeed, and you can drop us a message on Patreon if you sign up, if you've got particular topics that you think we should be talking about. If you're not on the Patreon, you can email us at finalwordcricket at gmail.com. And if you feel inclined to drop a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice, then that'll help in terms of making sure that the pod gets up in front of people and, and more people can get involved with this weird cricketing world in which we live. Yeah, it's been a while since we mentioned that, but there's been a lot of um, really positive reviews on, on iTunes and, and we're really grateful for them that's probably enough from us Jeff thanks again for listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon and thanks again to Matt Renshaw it's been a lot of fun we'll do it again soon that'll be the same we've been doing for centuries sorry if I ran out to empty wrote this so you know what I meant here I had to go about it